You're listening to The Common Good Show, a show designed to inform, inspire, and empower our listeners and entrepreneurs. Whether your goal is to live your best life, achieve business success, or foster a safe and healthy community, we bring you a holistic approach. And now, here's your host, Juanita Farrow. Welcome. You are listening to The Common Good Show, and we've got an exciting exciting show for you today. You know we are all about motivation and living your best life now. I want to tell you a little bit about our next guest. It's Jenna Edwards. Jenna is an actor, Buffy the Vampire Slayer and Malcolm in the Middle. She's an award-winning film producer and a number one best-selling author who is passionate about spreading the idea of aggressive optimism. As far and wide as she is able to, she grew up in a small town in Minnesota, and she says that she was what they called a walking statistic. And she's going to tell you a little bit more about that later. She has traveled the world beginning as an exchange student in Thailand her senior year of high school. She's been on TV and in the movies and co-authored a number one best-selling book and currently lives in Los Angeles with her loving and supportive husband. She has just recently traveled the country for a year. Don't we all envy her? Yeah. She attributes her incredible life to being aware that she has a choice, that our circumstances do not have to define us, and that if we practice aggressive optimism, when the going gets tough, we truly can create the life we dream of living. Now, don't we want to know more about that? Please help me welcome to the show, Jenna Edwards. Welcome to the show, Jenna. Oh, my gosh. Thank you so much. I'm so excited to be here. Well, I am so excited to have you on the show. I can't wait to hear all the good things and the tips that you're going to give us about living our best life now. It sounds so exciting. (laughs) So thank you for taking the time to be with us on the show today. Absolutely. It's, It's what I live to do so fun. Oh, absolutely. That's fantastic. Well, look, I can't wait. We are going to jump right in here because everybody listening to this show has probably, they're probably thinking about the terms aggressive optimism, and you are going to tell us exactly what do you mean by that? I know, right? They're like, what the heck? (laughs) Like, what is that? I want Absolutely. some of that, right? Absolutely. You know, it just it came up with the term recently, actually, within the like last six months when somebody was talking about optimism, and I've always been like super optimistic, but I've also had a lot of really dark times in my life, and I realized while we were talking that the reason that I've been able to overcome those dark times and get around them and create the life that I've always wanted to live is because I'm actually aggressive about the optimism. So you have to like practice because sometimes things knock you down and you forget that there's a way out or you forget that there's, you know, a way through. And mm-hmm. if you're aggressive about it, there always is. 
So aggressive optimism is basically the belief that you can achieve your dreams. And then the process of using aggressive optimism is the how. Like how do you make that a daily commitment? You know what I mean? Uh Yeah, yeah. So it starts with the belief, though. And isn't that the mindset, the state of mind? Yes, 100%. I mean, if you don't believe that you can do something, you're never going to get it. Absolutely. So it, <laughs> it starts with that belief, I, you know, that is so, so incredible because, you know, we, we don't believe that we have any control over our own circumstances. But a lot of what is happening to us has to do with our state of mind and what we are attracting to us, right? 100%. 100%. And I think, you know, that you just have to believe that there's a way. And then yeah. go about figuring out that way yeah. and making sure that that way matches with who you are and the life that you want to live, right? We spend so much time identifying these circumstances or talking about these circumstances when the reality is that's just a moment, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. Like one of the biggest things that happened to me was I was in um, the farmer's market crash in Santa Monica and it was about mm-hmm. 17 years ago, and this elderly yeah. man drove through the farmer's market in California and killed 10 people. I remember hearing people, about that. Right? And he oh. hit me at 60 miles an hour. And, like, that day, my, I always say my brain broke. I just could not handle what I had seen and what I had experienced, and I suffered severe post-traumatic stress disorder And I couldn't read. I stuttered when I talked. I would forget basic words. I was having flashbacks every day. I didn't sleep for eight months because every time I closed my eyes, I was having night terrors because people were literally dying in my head. And I was reliving that moment over and over and over again. And at the time, it was a very rare diagnosis for someone not in the military. And so I thought I was going to have to live with PTSD forever. And But my little optimistic heart, was like, no, there has to be a way through this. And so I committed to therapy, like intense therapy, Mm -hmm. and now I have zero symptoms. But if I didn't believe that I could overcome that, I never would have. You would have been stuck in that state of mind with that fear and that post-traumatic stress. Oh, my gosh. Mm -hmm. Wow, that, that is unbelievable. That's simply amazing. You know, you call yourself, I mean, you say that others may have referred to you in the past, I guess, when you were growing up as a walking statistic. Tell us what you oh, yeah. mean by that, <laughs> growing up, and what, what it would have meant to be called a walking statistic. That's my term for it. <laughs> Basically, it was, uh, I grew up in the 80s, and um, at the time, you know, there were all of these statistics that came out, like if you were born to a teen Mm -hmm. mom, which I was, you were going Mm -hmm. to become a teen mom. If you had addiction in your family, you were most likely to become an addict. If you had an abuse in your family, you were most likely to be abused as an adult. And Mm -hmm. I was all of those things. Like I lived in poverty. I had, like the cards were truly stacked against me. Um, Mm -hmm. From a statistical standpoint, but I just never bought into it and worked every single day to get out. I made this decision when I was 12 years old that this wasn't going to be my life. And 
it isn't. And so that I think is really where aggressive optimism came from. I just coined the term this year, <laughs> you know what I mean? But it's like, if I had listened to all of the people, all of the quote experts around me, I would have mm-hmm. just given up and, and been like, well, I guess that's the way it is. That's how I'm, you know, my life is going to be this thing that everybody says it's going to be. But there was something inside of me that was like, there's got to be a way to get out. You know, mm-hmm. there's got to be a way to do better because there are people who have. And so I think optimism is just the ability to look at the positive examples as opposed to the negative examples of your circumstances. Does that make sense? Yes, it makes absolute sense. Well, look, we oh, definitely we want to dig a little bit deeper into that. We're going to take a short break now, and when we come back, we're going to hear more from Jenna Edwards. She's talking about aggressive optimism. Don't you go anywhere. We'll be right back. Welcome back to The Common Good Show with Juanita Farrow, and you've been listening to Jenna Edwards, and she's been talking about aggressive optimism. Now, Jenna, um, uh, Jenna, I want to bring you back on because I want you to talk about, when you talk about the biggest challenge that you faced in your life, being hit by a car, you know, going 60 miles an hour when this driver plunges into the crowd probably, and, mm-hmm. you know, this, this had in your life, it had to be just unbelievable, and I can't even imagine what that brought you through um, mm-hmm. and the journey that, you know, after that happened, what you had to go through. Can you talk a little bit about the healing from that, you know, what it was like, and how did you get through that? Absolutely. Um, so it took, <laughs> let's see, where do you start? I mean, it was a very long and tedious process to heal from something like that, especially mm-hmm. back then when it wasn't a very common, like I said earlier, mm-hmm. a common diagnosis, right? I remember when I got the diagnosis, I literally looked at the therapist and was like, that's impossible. I'm not a soldier. Like only soldiers get PTSD. And, Mm -hmm. um, which is completely silly, I get now, but I also, like, that just gives you a a sense of my mindset. I I was in complete denial about it, even though I couldn't function. I was probably crying 70% of the time, and I am not a crier, or at that time Mm -hmm. I wasn't. Now I'm fine. Now I'm like, it heals. (laughs) But back then, I was like, I do not cry. I am strong. I don't. I don't break down, all of that. And my body just literally could not handle what had happened to me. And um, so because of my denial and my history, my family has a history of addiction, I was scared of taking medication Mm -hmm. for the PTSD. Mm -hmm. And it nearly Mm -hmm. killed me because my body was just so messed up chemically. Like the way that it was described to me that made the most sense was, Um, PTSD is caused by our fight or flight. And Mm -hmm. what that means is when, you know, in evolution, before we've evolved, we would either, when when the adrenaline came into our body, we would either run and Mm -hmm. release that adrenaline, get it out of our body, or we would fight something, and that would get the adrenaline out of our body. But because we're, you know, 
trained in society, like well, you're not going to hit somebody <laughs> and you're not going to run away. Like you're in a crash, you're in an accident, you have to stay there. And so mm-hmm. because I stayed, the chemicals sat in my body and they really did mess with my brain chemistry. And so it's a very physical thing along with a very mental and emotional thing. Mm-hmm. And so mm-hmm. through the process, I had to come to terms with the fact that there's a chemical thing happening and you need to have medication to regulate it. So before mm-hmm. I came to that conclusion, I actually didn't sleep for eight months and I went a little loony. Um, you know, and I'm kind of on a mission to make the word crazy less taboo. I went yeah. crazy. And I exactly. ended up, right? Like, we have to be able to talk about this stuff because it's yes. very real. And yes. it's not something that you can see, right? It's not like a broken bone in an x-ray. And so if you're not able to talk about it, then the people that can help you won't be able to help you. And so I wasn't at that time able to talk about it. I was completely in denial until one day, um, well, like a month before this, my, I had agreed to go on some medication, and the medication um, wasn't working. Like I had gone so far without sleep that it wasn't helping at that point. Um, and one day I had this like – total psyche break where I wanted to sleep so bad that I wanted, I was about to take an entire bottle of sleeping pills, not because I wanted to die, but because I just wanted to sleep. And there was this moment of clarity where I was like, you'll die. And that's not what you want. And so I called my husband and we checked me into a psych ward and I spent, I want to say 13 days in the psych ward and they regulated my sleep and they got my body chemistry all back into whack and I was able to like think clearly for the first time in eight months and really realize like, okay, this is where you're at and you can either live here or you can figure out how to get out of here. And that meaning like out of the PTSD. And so one of the biggest things that helped me was as silly as it sounds, but I'm an actor, so it's not really that silly, is at that time Drew Barrymore was coming back into her career. And so there were all of these articles being written about how she was um, having to rebuild after being in rehab. And I knew that, and so I put pictures of her all up on my hospital room wall because I was like, if she can come back from that, I can Mm -hmm. come back from this. And so it was just really having those examples of people who have overcome this adversity and made their way back to their dreams, Um, which is why I love what you're doing on the show, right? It's like we have to share our stories so that people know it's possible. And that it took me, so after I was done in the hospital, it took me Mm -hmm. three and a half years before I could work again. Um, without yeah. having a flashback. It was a really, yeah. really long process. So when I say aggressive optimism, I mean aggressive yeah. <laughs> optimism. Like you are daily having this condition that you think is going to last forever, but you have to hold on to the belief that it's not going to and that you can figure out how to heal yourself, you know. Um, yeah. And then it that is a, about that is seven amazing. That's an amazing story. I mean, it, it's an amazing story. The fact that this happened to you and all these things going on, but you had to reach a point 
you know, where you, you just said, okay, well, you know, there's somebody who, who else has gone through something like this and they've yeah. come out of it. So you really had to change your mindset, and it's not always easy to do, but where you ended up, probably in that hospital, gave you the opportunity in that moment to be, mm-hmm. have some clarity, a brief moment of clarity where you could yes. make that decision. I'm thinking about the number of people now that are dealing with something and just can't seem to get to even to that point to do something about their situation. And yeah. it, it's, in, it's an incredible journey and, and what you've gone through. Now you talk about, um, you know, I know that's an extreme example, but it certainly <laughs> yes. is an example of how someone can overcome because it took you three years to, to get through that. So it, it's not yeah. a quick process. So how well, no, and it relate? took me seven before I didn't have a panic attack again. I mean, it was oh, a long process. Wow. I would say it took 10 years for me to fully oh, heal from that whole trauma. Wow. Yeah, it's crazy. It takes a long time, and it's also – um, for anyone listening who's having that kind of thing happen mm-hmm. mentally, mm-hmm. like we always mm-hmm. say, as long as we have our mind, we can do anything. Mm-hmm. And right. I was like, well, what happens if you lose your mind? Because that's literally what happened to me. And so it's almost like you have to just constantly remind yourself, like as a mantra, I, maybe you don't have your right mind right now, but you can get it back. And if you just keep remembering, your, reminding yourself, I can do this, I can do this, I can do this, I can do this, and keep searching, it will happen. Wow. But it's a lot harder when it's a mental thing. <laughs> you know? Yeah, it is. And, you know, we treat mental illness so differently than we treat any other disease. I mean, when there is a disease of the brain, we seem to, there's so much stigma associated with that. Mm-hmm. However, if there's a heart, you know, heart disease or cancer, we accept that a little bit more and treatment yeah, for that, do. but treatment for anything that's mentally related um, it, it's totally, it, it seems like society has such a big issue with that and it's such a stigma that people don't want to talk about it. They don't want to deal Absolutely. with it. And I've seen situations where people don't even want to go to a hospital because they think they're going to be stigmatized because they did get help for that. And it's yes. certainly sad to see that. So, you know, for someone who has gone, you know, who hasn't maybe gone through anything so, um, you know, as such a, on a large scale as you did, what would you, what would you say to them right now? I would say, you know, I've had a lot of people come up after. I'm a public speaker, and I've talked on this subject quite a bit, and I have a mm-hmm. lot of people come up to me afterwards and say things like, I never, I, I had something similar. It wasn't as bad. Like, they always have to qualify it, and I am here to remind you that if it's debilitating to you, it's yeah. that bad. Mm-hmm. Like, you don't need to have a mass tragedy with news reporters around you to give yourself permission to acknowledge that something's wrong, because if we don't acknowledge that something's wrong, we will never get help. And Mm -hmm. then I'm here to tell you, if you don't acknowledge it and get help, it's going to grow and get worse. Don't Mm -hmm. wait until it gets worse. (laughs) I have totally done that. It's a real problem, you know, but like if it's, the, if it's affecting you, it's an issue because we can all live really joyful lives. The reality is stuff happens. Mm-hmm. Bad things mm-hmm. happen. And I feel like there's this kind of movement around in the self-development world where we can't acknowledge the bad things 
because then, you know, it's like, oh, don't put that negativity out there. I'm not saying live in the acknowledgement and living in the bad thing. That you should not do. Mm -hmm. But if you don't acknowledge that it exists, you can't mm -hmm. get help and you can't move forward. It's just impossible. Right, right. If you, yeah, if you don't admit that there's a problem, I absolutely understand that, then you can't start the process of healing from something exactly. that you don't recognize even to be a problem. So I absolutely yeah. agree with that. Now, this is so important to you, obviously because of what you've gone through, the trauma that you've gone through. Mm. I mean, you're right. We associate PTSD, post-traumatic stress disorders, with, you know, military war zone or things like that, traumatic. But it's something that can happen even in a, in a, in a household situation, a domestic violence situation. Absolutely. Can, can create that kind of um, the trauma. So why is spreading aggressive optimism so important to you now? I mean, you could be doing anything you wanted to do right now, but here you are talking about something that obviously you are passionate about, aggressive optimism. Tell us, tell us why. Well, I think that it's, it's my passion because it's, it's the truth. Right? It's the mm -hmm. idea that we have some choices and we have control. Um, and it's important to me because I was, like, my mom's second husband was really abusive. And so I've experienced domestic violence. And I think that I take on the phrase, hurt people hurt other people. So mm -hmm. if we don't yeah. acknowledge where we are and get mm -hmm. the help that we need to heal, we're just going to create a cycle of hurt. And for me, the best way to acknowledge and heal is to hold on to the idea of aggressive optimism and be, like, super passionate about the fact that you can heal and be happy and spread that joy. You know what I mean? Absolutely. And we need more people like you doing that. <laughs> because I, I always believe, you know, I'm, I'm an author as well, and I always believe that, you know, there's certainly more good in the world than bad, but we spend mm -hmm. so much time focused on the bad things that happen. That's what we see on yes. the TV sometimes, and we just kind of live in that environment. But there's so many things that you never see or hear about that's good that's happening all over the world, but you just don't hear about it. And I just feel like if, if there's people that can spread that message, you know, and talk about that good or overcoming and what it's like to overcome and how we yeah. can overcome, I think that's so important. I agree 100%. And I think it's also really challenging, right? Like I remember growing yeah. up and if somebody was like, um, I'm like the eternal optimist, it's so ridiculous. So my grandpa, the first time I ever heard the term optimism was when I was at the um, amusement park with my grandpa. And he mm -hmm. and I were in line to go on this one ride. And he looked at um, the line in front of us and was like, oh, this line is so long. And I looked mm -hmm. behind us and I was like, oh, but it could be so much longer. Like we were kind of in the middle of those, like, <laughs> very, right? And so he's like, oh, wow, you really are an eternal optimist. And I'm like, I have no idea what that means, but okay. And, but I always got called 
like in a negative way, like, oh, Susie's sunshine, or oh, you look at the world with rose-colored glasses, or oh, you're yeah, so Pollyanna. unrealistic. You know, people tease Pollyanna. you, right? People, yeah. Right? And so I think we're brought up to believe that looking at the good is a negative, which just mm. cracks me up when I say it out loud. <laughs> Wait a minute. I know. But you are so on point there because that is very true in our society. We're, we're conditioned to believe, you know, that if something happens good every now and then, that's good. But mostly prepare yourself for the worst because, exactly. because that's what you're going to get. <laughs> right? And wow. I'm like, Wait a minute. Who decided that that was reality? Who decided that exactly. focusing on the negative was the way to go? And so I really had to in the last few years when I started, when I decided to start talking about this subject, I had to tap into bravery and do a lot of wow. self-development work around that because it is so difficult sometimes to point out the positive. And wow. So I say to anyone who's listening, please be brave. Like, please tap into that and figure out how to overcome the idea of being a Pollyanna because we need you to. Like, the world needs to be Pollyannas, you know? Exactly, exactly. I so agree with that. So just what are you doing to get this message out? Talk about some of the things you're doing to spread that message, get the word out about this okay. aggressive optimism. <laughs> I shall. Thank you for the opportunity. Number one, I am um, speaking to high school students about it because I oh, feel wow. like if we can get to our youth and uh -huh. like give them permission to be optimistic, it's going to change uh -huh. the world. Um, uh -huh. And I'm also oh, yeah. going into associations and corporations and speaking to them because I realize like, it's so funny, right? We graduate from high school where we're like encouraged to have all of these free thoughts and then we become quote adults and everything becomes beige and you get put in this little box and you forget about the things that bring you joy. And uh -huh. so I think it's important to not forget about the adults in the room and, and remind them that optimism is okay and that being brave in your optimism is okay. And so I'm, I'm just speaking wherever I can speak. So anyone listening, I'm happy to come talk. Um, and I'm also uh, starting a podcast called the Aggressive Optimism Podcast. It launches October 13th on iTunes and Google Play and SoundCloud, and I'm really excited about it. I want to have this type of conversation every single day, well, Monday through Friday, because I really like my weekends. Um, <laughs> and so, yeah, I just think – I just want to talk about it and, and remind people that it's okay. Give people permission. Be aggressively optimistic. You know what I mean? Well, you know, I think the more we talk about it, there's going to be someone who's listening that, you know, this, this veil is going to go off. And it's going to change how they see things. It's going to change how they look at things. It, it's going to change their trajectory. And I think that the more we do that, you know, even – one person at a time, you know, if we can yeah. impact the life of one person, that makes a huge difference, you know. Um, Absolutely. Oh, I love that you're yeah. doing this show. So awesome. Yeah. Well, it's I so love awesome. that you're on the show. And so that, this <laughs> is so you. exciting. And looking forward to that podcast. We're going to talk about that a little bit at the end, too, to make sure okay. that the listeners are tuned into that. So um, you say that you have a concept 
of yes. And so what, oh. tell, tell us exactly what that is, a little bit about that. <laughs> I love it. Yes. Okay. So basically, <laughs> yes and is what I was talking about before. This is the process, what I call the process of aggressive optimism. Like if you can't acknowledge where you are, you can't move forward, right? And I am an actor in Hollywood, and I studied improv at Second City and when I was in improv group, like one of the first exercises you learn is something called yes and. It's um, this game that uh-huh. is played in improv. And it's basically uh-huh. uh, the idea that you can't say no. So if you have a scene and you're, you're, there, you're up there with a partner and the audience tells you, uh, you need to fix this car. Your partner can't say or you can't say, no, I don't want to fix this car, because then the scene is dead, right? So you have to identify the goal. So for me, Mm -hmm. with the PTSD, my goal was to overcome PTSD and not have it anymore. Mm -hmm. And so every day, every situation, every moment, basically, sometimes, was me going, I can't read this script. So I'm never, like, my thought process would go, I'm never going to get my acting career back together, right? Mm-mm, mm-hmm. That's not the right mindset. I was, gotcha. So then aggressive optimism comes into play. How can I get my acting career back? Well, you can't read, so what are you going to do? So it's like, yes, I can't read right now. Mm-hmm. And I can listen to podcasts. I can't read uh, right now. And right. I can watch TV and like be reminded of how the words flow within a scene. Like there are other ways to get to Mm -hmm. your goal, but if you Mm -hmm. say no, you're cutting yourself off from all opportunity and potential. So the yes and exercise is really a way for you to start thinking how. Here's what I want to do. Here's where I am. How can I get there? Does that make sense? Yes, it it absolutely does. You're always looking for those alternatives, not to close the door on anything, but there are definitely exactly. other ways and things that we can do, do um, that we can do things. That is an excellent example. Now, being an and it's actor, so funny that you in Los improv. Angeles, I, what's that? And it's so funny, funny that you get it from improv, which is like the silliest form of acting. You know what I mean? Uh, okay. <laughs> Well, and and I suppose this has really helped your career because I want to talk a little bit more about that and how aggressive optimism, I mean, you've done so many things. You've traveled the world. (laughs) I mean, you traveled for almost a year, and you've done all of these wonderful things. So how do you feel that, you know, aggressive optimism has helped enhance your career? Well, I mean, it's been everything. And I'm so glad that I finally had a term for it because I've been living it my whole life, right? It's like you're a small – I was a small-town girl. Literally 2,006 people were in my town in the middle of a cornfield in Minnesota before the Internet, before behind-the-scenes DVDs, Mm -hmm. all of that stuff, and I knew I wanted to come to California and be an actor. And I had no idea how I could do that. But I believed I could because other people were. And so – I just every single day literally was like, what can I do today to get me there? What can I do today to get me there? You know, and so that's how I got to to California. And it's the same thing with um, like the road trip. 
we decided that we were going to, we sold all of our stuff and we, we bought a teardrop trailer and we went on the road for an entire year traveling cross country in the United States. And wow. people were like, you're crazy. But I also am surrounded by all the dreamers in California. So I have a little advantage because everybody here has big goals and it's so fun. Um, so they're like, okay, well, how are you going to do it? And I'm like, uh, okay, I don't know. Let's figure it out. And so it really is just this process of figuring out how to get to your dream. You know, and we have, I think I want to talk about dreams a little bit because I think people hear the word dream and they think like, I want to be Disney. Okay, but one of Disney's dreams was to create Mickey Mouse. One of Disney's dreams, like there's multiple dreams within Mm -hmm. our lives. And so it's important to remember that, at least for me, because if I don't have my, my ultimate dream is to have a talk show at Warner Brothers. Warner Brothers is my favorite studio lot. I freaking love it. Mm-hmm. And I'm obsessed with it. And I have been for 20 years. And so I had to start realizing like, but you're going to have a thousand dreams that will be on the path to getting to that big dream, right? And one of mm-hmm. them was to travel across the country. I just wanted to do it. I wanted to go meet people. I wanted to learn about different cultures. I wanted to like go to bookstores and coffee shops and just immerse myself in the local vibe, right? And so when we decided to do it, we literally just had to sit down and go, how in the heck are we doing this? Mm-hmm. And then mm-hmm. take it step by step, which is the yes and process. You have to acknowledge where you are every single day But I like what you said. I like that in your bio, you said, you know, we have choices. And so sometimes in order to get someplace, it means you have to give up something or you have to, you know, there are some trade-offs, but you make choices um, to do that. And and so it was important for you to travel. Yeah. (laughs) Yes. And let me tell you, there was a moment, I mean, there were so many moments where I was like, what did you just do to yourself? (laughs) Why is it that you have to create adversity for yourself? There's so much adversity already in the world, and you decide you're going to go create this big, giant project, which creates adversity every single day, and you're crazy, right? (laughs) So, But there's this moment where, so I had this bed. I called it my princess bed. It's going to sound so silly to you guys, but I was obsessed with this bed because my entire life I had crappy beds. And I have a bad back. I had back surgery when I was 13. And um, so my back always hurt until I got this bed. And when we decided to go on the road, I had to sell my bed. And I literally, like, I'll never forget it. It was stripped of all the sheets. It had already been sold. Someone was coming to get it. And I plopped myself down on that bed and cried like nothing. It was oh, crazy. No. I was like, why am I giving this up? That's so bad, right? You know? <laughs> but that was the choice I made. And then, yeah. you, you know, I had my little cry fest and got up and was like, you chose this. <laughs> so, okay. you know, yeah. let go. But, yeah, it, there's always going to be something that you're going to give up. But the key is if you're creating the life you really want to live, the thing that you're getting it's going to be so much better it's and so, so much, much more, yeah. right? Yeah. Yeah. I absolutely I, believe that. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's so important to remember. And I think 
my friend and I have been talking about this recently. She's starting um, this amazing Facebook community that is truly about community because she doesn't want to coach. She's not an expert. She just, she just really wants to encourage people to live their dreams. And it's so weird for people to hear that because most people who start communities are starting it for a different business, right? And hers mm-hmm. is a paid community, so that's her only business. And she and I talk so much about the fact that the process is just as important as the goal. Mm-hmm. You know, so like there's a million ways to do anything. And I think it's so important to remember as you're giving things up that you only have to give up the things that you want to. You know, I feel like we, mm-hmm. we really need to take time to think about, like, what do I want my day to look like? Mm-hmm. And, you know, how do I want to feel? Like, for me right now, I'm, I'm struggling, but I'm committed to giving up potato chips because they're my favorite, but they make me feel bad. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, what am I gaining versus what am I giving up? Exactly. Exactly. Because giving up means that you're going to feel better, and then that's exactly. going to make you be able to do more things or want to do more things, even have more energy. But I know mm-hmm. exactly where you are. There are just some things that you just, no matter <laughs> what, you feel like you've got to hold on to, and chips are one of them. I know. <laughs> but oh, isn't I know. that the optimistic perspective? I, but that's the thing, right? We oftentimes think like, oh, I'm going on a diet instead mm-hmm. of thinking, well, I feel better when I eat watermelon, so I'm just going to add it to what I already eat. Mm-hmm. And, and you're, it's a it's lifestyle. So, it's, it's not just a diet. Yes. I mean, it, it's, it's a way of life because we know dieting exactly. doesn't work. I mean, you really have to, you know, you become what you eat too. You know, so. Right. <laughs> Well, and it's so interesting, too, back to the PTSD, I tell you what, one of the biggest things that helped me heal was adding fruit to my diet. It just made my brain chemistry work better. Yes, yes. There are, you know what they said, foods are really medicine. Foods are just like medicine. Yes. You know, we can eat ourselves healthy as opposed to taking medicine in some cases, Mm -hmm. but we sometimes don't choose to do that and we take the medicine instead. But food, you know, foods are definitely a way that we can, we can do that. Right. And I think it's important, too, back to the, um, the question about choice, is yeah. just acknowledging, look, I'm choosing to eat potato chips today and not yeah. focus on beating ourselves up for eating potato right. chips because then you're right. just perpetuating the cycle that isn't getting you to the life that you want to live. Exactly. You know? It's like, so exactly. you're human and you have a weakness. It's fine. <laughs> it's fine. <laughs> the problem is that we dwell on those weaknesses more than we dwell on our successes and our choices. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And that's that is really aggressive optimism. Absolutely true. So the key is always focus more on what you want as opposed yes. to what you don't want. Yeah. That's a goal. Yeah. So when you did the trip, and don't beat yourself how, up if you want to bring do? a potato chip. <laughs> yeah, do the potato chip for goodness sake. Yes. Know, right? So what did this trip do for you? I mean, going on this trip oh, for gosh. a year, what was the outcome for you? What did that do for you? You know, it's so funny. So we've been back now almost a year, and mm-hmm. I am now just seeing the outcome. 
which is a really interesting perspective for me because I was beating myself up for not having that transformation immediately. And mm-hmm. I started to realize, like, it takes me a minute to process things, like I, it, mm-hmm. which is hard to remember because I'm kind of quick-witted and I love talking and I can have a comeback all the time. So I don't think I need to process anything, but mm-hmm. I do. <laughs> you know, I mm-hmm. really do. And um, so, like, for the first four months being back from the trip, I literally was, I was so regretful, you guys, of taking that trip like we gave up this beautiful house in the part of the city I love to be in and all this stuff, right? And I hadn't had the big transformation and so I thought it was a waste of time and all of that. Like I really beat myself up for going on the trip. And then I got, like I got to the point a couple of months ago where the trip was, was important for me for reasons I didn't understand when I decided to take it. Mm-hmm. And I think that, like, we live in this Instagram culture, which I talk about a lot with the high school students, too, where our definition of success, at least for me, gets kind of fuzzy because we mm-hmm. see all of these people and we think, oh, that's the way we have to do it and this is the way we should go on it. When we decided to go on the trip, like everyone had an opinion about what the trip should look like. Oh, are you going to go mm-hmm. skydiving? Oh, are you going to swim with dolphins? Oh, are you going to go cliff climbing or, you know, rock climbing or whatever? And I'm like, I just want to read books in coffee shops. Like that to me yeah. is what this trip yeah. is about. But yeah. I started to like listen to the outside opinions mm-hmm. so much so that I forgot what I wanted to do and what I wanted the trip to be. And so when I came back, I hadn't done any of the things that people thought I should be doing, and so I thought it was a failure. But the reality is that I did all the things I wanted to do, and Mm -hmm. until I sat with myself and really processed through that and thought, wait a minute, this is my life. This is not anybody else's life, and yes, everybody wanted me to post on Instagram, and I kind of stopped because I was so ashamed that it wasn't like as exciting as people wanted. Um, but like, wow. it's right. I don't know if right. you guys have ever had that happen, but I have. <laughs> In a no, way. I know exactly what you mean. And you know, we sort of live our lives through the lenses of these people out there that are yeah. constantly looking at looking at us with expectations of what we should be doing. You know, right? you're right. Take your life back. It's my life, okay? Newsflash, it's my life, right? Exactly. And so you've got to I be remember. content with what you're doing. Totally. Not only content, but happy. Like happy, if yes. Going to a bookshop is, makes you happier than going skydiving. Go to a bookshop. It's okay. There, yeah. You know? There. And my husband, there. I will never forget, like, he's super soft spoken. But he looked at me one day and he's like, they do not get to live vicariously through you. (laughs) There you go. See, you have to have those people around you. Thank goodness for your husband. You know, there's a reality check there. Yeah, there you go. There you go. This has been so exciting, Jenna. Jenna, you've got a wealth of information and insight here that is so extremely 
valuable. And, and I get that aggressive optimism because it certainly comes across from you and Aww. just the way you talk about life in general. And so, you know, and that becomes contagious too. You know, because, you know, yeah, it it makes people feel good. It's that vibrational energy, right? And I can feel it, right, talking to you right now. So, you know, we want to talk, we want you to talk about how the average uh, listener out there might be able to apply some of this aggressive optimism to their life maybe even starting now, <laughs> you know? Oh, yes, but we're gonna 100%. Talk a, we're gonna talk, yeah, we're going to talk a little bit about that when we come back. We're going to take, take a short break now, and we will be right back. You've been listening to The Common Good Show with Juanita Farrow, and I've been talking to Jenna Edwards here about aggressive optimism. Now, you don't want to go anywhere now because we are going to talk about what you can do today to uh, to move through this journey of aggressive optimism and how you can start applying it to your own life. So don't go anywhere. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Common Good Show with Juanita. Jenna, welcome welcome back to the show. Thank you. I'm so excited to be here. <laughs> yeah. So now I want you to tell the listeners exactly. We've been talking about this aggressive optimism, and by now, now that we've gotten everybody really excited who's been listening to the show, I want you to tell them what can they do to start today. What can they do? Oh my gosh, there's so many things, right? I mean, I I recognize that I talk about big things all the time. Yeah, but yeah. it's also important to remember, like, I think the first thing that you can do is define what you want your life to look like. What brings you joy on a daily basis? And, like, pursue that. And it doesn't mean, like, oh, I want to go write a book. If you want to go write a book, absolutely have the, like, optimistic viewpoint that you can do it because you totally can. Mm-hmm. Break it down, figure it out. But like on a daily basis, if you want to be the best mom or the best dad, like what does that look like? Acknowledge where you are and figure out how to get forward, right? It's like Mm -hmm. just the smallest thing. Like I wish that I was better at sending thank you cards, right? Like let's say that that brings you joy, that you love Mm -hmm. showing gratitude, Make the commitment to do that. And don't overcommit. Don't be like, I need to send 100 cards tomorrow because then you're just setting yourself up for failure. So figure out how you can do these things in a joyful manner. I think that that's the most important thing, right? It's like acknowledging where you are, figuring out where you want to go, identifying steps to get you there that match with the joy you want to bring into your life. You know, like it has to be syn- synergetic. Is that the word? Synergistic? Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> with like the but how I, I, has I to match I, with you. Right, right. I definitely understand that. And it's it's those small things and don't feel pressured to do something major. But they it starts to build. You've got to start somewhere, you know, mm-hmm. and, and see if it's something simple. You know, I'm just amazed sometimes because I send these, 
you know, in the morning I have my time, you know, where my quiet time mm-hmm. in the morning to sort of prepare myself mentally for the day. And I, you know, sometimes I will post, you know, these positive, you know, um, posts on Facebook. And I've had so many people say to me, wow, you know, you, that really helps me get my day started. When I see that posting come out, you know, in reading that, it really helps me, you know, it puts me in a positive mode. And they'll say that to me. I've had so many people give me that feedback. And, you know, I'm doing it for myself. Too, because it sort of helps me <laughs> I was keep just me in the right frame you. of mind. <laughs> you know, it helps me prepare for I was my just day. About to ask but I didn't you, realize so do you post those for you because I totally get that. <laughs> yeah, and so now everybody else is like, I've, I've had so many people come to me and say, you know, that's it. really great. I really read your posts, and that really helps me get start, get my day started. And I'm thinking, you know, it's the little things that we do sometimes that not mm-hmm. only help us in our own lives, but it helps others as well. We may not see that ourselves, but it really does. Totally. Saying hello to someone could really impact their day. Huge. You Huge. Know? Well, and I think yeah. what you just said is such a great example. That's why I asked you if it makes you happy. Because, you know, we, like for me, I'm, I have my own business, and we're trained in all these different ways to, quote, build an audience, right, to build mm-hmm. fan base. And I've noticed for myself, if I do the things that they say I, I should be doing, but it doesn't make me happy, I'm completely mm-hmm. inconsistent with it. And so mm-hmm. it, it ends up failing. So you have to mm-hmm. find the things that not only, you know, achieve, get you to your goal, but also make you happy in the process. Absolutely. Or you're not going to do them. Absolutely. I agree. I agree. You're absolutely right. Jenna, this has been so exciting such an exciting show, Aggressive Optimism. It's not a show that we'll forget anytime soon because it has been so invaluable (laughs) to, I know, helping people along their journey really, really um, do things more consciously and think a little bit more about what they're doing and not buying into all the negative and things like that because, you know, that's certainly not going to help you achieve your goals. I want you to tell the the listeners how they can reach you after the show. Oh, sure. I have a website called jennaedwards.life. I'm on Instagram at jennaedwardslife and on Facebook at jennaedwardslife as well. Okay, great. Well, I know that you listeners, you you want more information, please feel free to contact Jenna and um and you know, and take that next step. Don't be afraid to take that next step. If you don't like where you are, you are the best person who can change that. So go out to <laughs> Amen, and sister. start changing it. <laughs> Absolutely. Jenna, thank you so much again. It has been so wonderful talking to you. Thank you for being on the show. Thank you so much. I'm so excited to talk to you as well. I love what you're doing. I love the show. I'm so grateful for you and for all of your listeners. It's so fun. (laughs) Thank you so much. You've been listening to The Common Good Show with Juanita Farrow. Catch us every Tuesday at 4 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Looking forward to a great week. Take care. 
Thank you for tuning in to The Common Good Show with host Juanita.